0: Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. I'm flying solo. Just for this introduction, Annie is offline on the job, and we have a really great interview for this week. And that is all we have. We don't have top stories. We're going to get straight to this interview. It is with the one and only the beauty broker herself, Melinda Farina. What is a beauty broker, you ask? A beauty broker is essentially a plastic surgery consultant. She doesn't take kickbacks, as you will learn from plastic surgeons. Rather, she is paid a fee by consumers, by patients, potential patients who are looking for certain procedures, whether it be a neck lift, an eye lift, a nose job, anything, and she finds the best doctor for their needs, for their anatomy, for their health history um, around the country and around the world. And she's in a very interesting position in that she kind of knows all the doctor's dirty secrets. She knows who's been messing up, who is starting to use new technology. She She's on the cutting edge of it all. And we were very lucky to get uh, an hour with her this week. So here is our interview with Melinda Farina. You are known as the beauty broker. You started one of the top plastic surgery consulting companies. How many years ago did you launch the company?
1: So I started the company 23 years ago.
0: Wow. So were you one of the first?
1: You know, there were some women in New York that were doing this before me, just at plastic surgery consulting on a smaller scale. At that time, I'm like dating myself here, <laughs> there was really no social media. So, you know, I think what happened is I got in at a very good time for this type of a platform and this type of a company to really kind of expand in a very positive way. And I had a lot more outreach than some of the women who had started this before me. I know there's, you know, there's still one who is doing some of it on a small scale in Beverly Hills, Linda Barons, who, you know, again, listen, I respect anybody who's in this industry to, to kind of take the reins and say, hey, I want to protect people and I want to guide people to the right, you know, surgeons and make sure that nobody is getting hurt. So
2: that's like kind of the essence of why you're in this career.
1: Yes. You want
2: to protect the patient.
1: Yes. I mean, first and foremost, it is a patient safety advocacy. It's an educational space where people could come and learn about all of the procedures, the rights, the wrongs, you know, what they should and shouldn't be doing for their own case specifications. But you know, I am I really pride myself on being an advocate for the client. So I don't work for the surgeon, I work for my patient. I work for my clients.
2: Because the alternate is like going on like realself.com and sorting by like topic and reading reviews and trying to find a doctor that way, right? Like
1: Yes, except real self is a pay-to-play. I'm not. Doctors don't pay me to promote. And in fact, if you I don't know how long you guys have been following for, but we don't name drop because I don't promote surgeons. It's more of a matchmaking, guide a patient to the right surgeon that really specializes in those specifications. Okay, so can
0: we do a little, in order to illustrate to everyone listening what exactly you do, can we do a little mock consultation? It'll be a very abbreviated one. (laughs)
1: <laughs> sure okay. i mean i don't have any of she's your like normally i charge for this
0: <laughs> well i
1: <laughs> well no not even but you know what it is to do a mock consultation i study a lot of information on the intake forum i study photos in age progression so i really take a look at mm-hmm. how things have changed over time that's important okay. and understanding your medical history and understanding previous procedures you've done and just kind of you know, general understanding of what you've been doing up to this point that, you know, you're either you're not happy with or looking to change. Some people come to me, you know, they've never had anything done. They've never done anything. So sure, shoot. Okay.
0: So with that disclaimer out there, I've been thinking for ten years about getting a nose job. So I have a very Jew I'm Jewish, so I can say I have a very Jewish nose and it kind of it's like almost hooks down. And I've mm-hmm. like grown into it, you know, some might say, but it's always bothered me a little bit. Not the size, but just more like the hook, right? So when I look on a lot of plastic surgeons, Instagrams, even the ones that like I'll meet a dermatologist and I'll say, who do you think is the best? And I'll follow that person. Everyone seems to be getting this nose job where it turns into this little nose. It's like from like a huge nose to like a little nose. And I'm scared as a guy I feel like guys look good with bigger noses. So I don't really know what to do. So I've really, this is a, not the true life situation. I've been like, you know what? I don't want to look that different, but I want just like the right kind of surgeon who knows how to do men and make them look the same, but better.
1: Right. So you know, one thing with men is that men have thicker skin. So you have to go to somebody who is well-versed with working with thicker skin. And, you know, usually when you are vetting a surgeon for your surgery, you have to know, A, they've done a lot of men with thicker skin and a lot of men in general, Mm -hmm. right? And then you kind of look at the style of the nose that they had before. So a lot of people come to me saying, you know, Hey, I love this Dr. So-and-so in Beverly Hills. Like I really love his aesthetic outcome. And then you look at the before photos and they have nothing to do with that individual's case. So you always want to look for your own case and then you want to look at the outcome and that outcome needs to be consistent across the board. So, you know, consistency is key. Working with men or women is key. You want to go to somebody who has, you know, a lot of experience working on a male nose and doesn't overdo mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of doctors, especially on the West Coast, who are also great. There's a couple of doctors really great out there. But a lot of doctors like to overdo, right? They really scoop out a nose and really you know, take too much off of the bridge. So the hump, you've got a very easy nose to do, by the way. The most important part of your nose is putting a sufficient columellar strut in. So you're going to need tip support because your nose kind of yep. dips and you have that little drooping yep. tip. So you need to go to somebody who does sufficient columellar other struts. Otherwise, your nose will collapse. So if they take off the bridge and, you know, they take that bridge down where it's still a manly nose, your nose is used to having a lot of support on right. the bridge. So you need to get a lot of support in the tip going forward. Yeah, there's definitely surgeons who could do your nose out there. You're in where? Beverly Hills?
0: I'm, I'm in Brentwood. Yeah, I'm willing to drive. I'll even go to New York. I'll do whatever right. I need to do. <laughs>
1: you know, I don't think I don't think you need to come <laughs> to New York. The surgeon who did my nose does a lot of male noses really well, actually. His name is Sam Rizgi, you know, again, name dropping. (laughs) Here we go. But yeah, you know, I think that also really good for male noses out in Beverly Hills is Jason Diamond. I have to say he does a lot of men's noses and he doesn't overdo them. And I've been working with Jason for a very long time. I mean, we're going like two decades now with Jay. You should go talk to him and see what he has to say do a podcast yeah no with I should
0: it's funny you the way that you talk about it is so you know the it seems like you know the anatomy and you know the medicine and the science behind a lot of these procedures did you study it in school or did you just pick it up?
1: Right. So originally I went to dental school and then I decided halfway through dental school, like, I hate this. What am I doing? And like, I have bad sciatica now and I'm, I'm literally going to be crippled if I continue to do this. So I decided to go into consulting. But I also, you know, realized this when I was 20 years old. So I was able to make that switch from dentistry to consulting. And then at the time, Friends of the dentist, the cosmetic dentist that I was working with were all of the top plastic surgeons in Manhattan. I would just go to every surgeon and just be like, hey, you know, I work with so and so. Can I come in and watch you do a surgery? I'm really interested in getting into this field. I want to go into consulting. And they would invite me in. So I was young enough and innocent enough where they would always be like, they would take me in like a little student. (laughs) You know, they really always want to show their procedures and techniques off. So I love to learn and they love to teach. You know, most good surgeons are great mentors and they're great teachers. So I was able to, at a very early stage in my life, go every single day and watch surgeries from some of the best in the world. And then I started traveling around the world to watch more of the best in the world. And, you know, and I kind of knew the path that I was going down. So I just stuck with it. That did not translate to any type of like monetary gain for me at all. You know, so for a very, very long time, this was a very slow growing company that made absolutely no money <laughs> in the beginning. And I was okay. A with big that. learning My curve. So much. Okay. <laughs> yes. But yes. the good
0: thing about that then is that there's a very tall barrier to entry for anyone else to come into the field because it took you how many years to really wrap your head around the global yeah, industry? Do your yeah.
1: Homework. Well, correct. You know, it's funny because people. I've seen people try and fail and try and fail and what they didn't realize was that I was young enough to be broke and be okay with that and you know and make all the mistakes and try to figure out different ways of structuring the business model young enough to do that and like really build my entire network and social network. And, you know, the clients are the biggest part of this, right? So you have to know people in order to be successful in this and network yourself in a very strategic way. But yeah, it is, it's is—it's a tough business model to, you know, gain monetary success rapidly. Yeah. So if you're looking for like quick financial gain, like this is definitely – not the industry you want to jump into. It takes a lot of time.
0: So the way that your business works to to dumb it down for me is someone will come to you like me and say I want to get a neck lift, I want to get a nose job, I want to get an eye lift, whatever. They do a consultation with you, you do an intake, and then they pay you a fee to match you with a doctor. Is that how the business works?
1: Yes. So we have all different types of packages and consulting options that we you know, that are our services. So you have a menu that you could choose from, like what type of consulting service you're looking for. Some people want a handholding. Some people want me there on the day of their surgery. No. Some people want to just come in and meet with me and spend a whole entire day with me where I go and I bring them to consultations. Some people fly me out to them.
0: So interesting. So you're really like, I mean, you said this in the beginning of the interview, but you're a patient advocate more than you are just like Correct. a broker. I would never call one's real estate agent, you know, like a real estate advocate.
2: <laughs> advocate. But mm-hmm. this
0: sounds like a lot, there's a lot more advocacy and, and it's basically hiring someone to ask all the right questions to the doctor that you're in a consultation with, which sounds like a genius idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's been doing really, really well for, for however many you know years I've been doing this now. So 23 years in, yes, and it grows every single year. But yes, I am a patient advocate. So people say, oh, you broker because you're the beauty broker. So, you know, the, the name, the nickname beauty broker actually came from a producer because we were set to do a reality show on Lifetime. And they wanted to call the show The Beauty Broker. And back then I was just like, oh, what a cute name. I love that. You know, I'm going to use that. And so I just used that for my handle, not realizing the term broker doesn't really sit well with a lot of people. But there is no brokering, you know, is what the thing is. I really am a plastic surgery consultant. But, you know, the nickname was The Beauty Broker because they're like, oh, yeah, it's like you're brokering plastic (laughs) surgery out there, you know, so. But yeah, there's no actual brokering. I make no money from the procedures. So if you book and you book a $100,000 facelift, like I don't see a penny of that.
0: Which is really the only way that you could probably have a clean business is by not taking money from the doctors and not taking money from the actual procedures, having like a flat fee that the patient pays you to help through this process, however they want or need the help.
1: Correct. It is an unbiased referral. So I really take a look. I, I kick surgeons out of my network all the time. If I start seeing the work, you know, become, you know, less than top quality or something's going wrong or, you know, there's a scar that I'm noticing on a couple of patients consecutively, I'm like, uh uh, that's not okay, you're out, you know? So the doctors have to be meticulous with every single one of the procedures they do on my clients, otherwise it will no longer refer to them. For them, you know, it means millions of dollars worth of referrals that they will no longer get anymore. And they don't pay me a dime for that.
0: Tell me about that. So it must be interesting to be a woman in a field predominantly populated by older men who have a lot of money because they've been successful plastic Mm -hmm. surgeons. And you're coming in either bringing them business or taking it away or convincing people to take their business elsewhere. What is that position like for you?
1: It's not like anything for me because I know at the end of the day I could put my head on my pillow and go to sleep and not, not have to worry about doing anything bad right It's worrisome for a lot of surgeons in the industry I think because I'm bringing truth to an industry that is very deceiving and dishonest and that's scary I think for a lot of people who are like not used to being honest and upfront and you know they're used to using you know different marketing tactics to pull vulnerable patients in who are you know in a very vulnerable, Position in their life. So, you know, this girl comes along. Who the hell is she? She's here speaking the truth. But, like, that is scary for a lot of people, but refreshing for many who are still ethical and of the old guard where they are by the book and do the right thing for their patients and take care of the patients. There's a couple of surgeons who are doing really bad things right now in the industry, and they don't say a word to me, but I, you know, I try to call them out as best I can and make people aware of what they're doing. And I think, you know, for those bad guys who are doing really bad things to patients in a very vulnerable position in their life, when someone comes along with the truth and is not afraid to speak up, they have nothing to say, and then they become exposed. So they could pay these sites like Real Self and all the Yelp or whatever, however much money they want to keep their reputation clean. No one could buy me you know, no one could pay me to shut me up.
0: But I bet people have tried. I mean, you've been in this business for 23 years. I bet there is a really loaded asshole plastic surgeon out there who's said, what's the number? Or like, I just have to imagine maybe I saw too much nip tuck. I just have to imagine (laughs) that this is an industry that is high powered. It's high upside. It's rich people, connected people that you're powerful people that you're operating on. And it's all about prestige and reputation. I could only imagine that there have been those situations.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we get calls from surgeons all the time. How do we work with you? I'm like, (laughs) you don't. I will choose you if I find it anything that you're doing interesting or, you know, attractive to me. You know, I, I will reach out if I want to work with you. So yeah, they're kind of like, huh, what do you mean? Like, I can't pay you? Like, isn't there a fee that I could No, we
0: can't do dinners and put you on a vacation. And it
1: doesn't matter. Listen, I don't, you know, I I, I come from a big Italian family. I don't need (laughs) to be wooed with food.
0: (laughs) So I feel like most people, if they can't afford you would start on Instagram. I mean, hopefully not Yelp. I That feels like a dangerous place to start looking for a plastic surgeon, but they might start looking on Instagram and, and someone that they follow, whether it's a celebrity or an influencer, maybe tags the doctor. Then you start following this doctor and there's loads of befores and afters and videos. And it's an interesting thing because in the world of influencers and gifts. If you're getting something for free or you're getting paid to promote a product, you have to disclose it both like in the caption as well as like in the location tag. I would imagine that within plastic surgery, there's a spectrum of whether the person's getting the surgery for free or whether they're getting something or like, I, I just can't imagine that it's all... You know, like real patients just allowing their before and after pictures for everyone to see. And also there's no rules about retouching or like filters or I mean, there's no it's it seems to be completely unregulated.
1: Am I right? It is completely unregulated. I just did a podcast with Shalene Johnson, who was just very hurt by a surgeon in Laguna Beach. She talks very openly about it. It's this big lawsuit now and she's very open about the whole situation.
2: Yeah, it's like, it's like Dirty John level Correct. harming people.
1: By the way, it is a slimy industry and this is an industry that should be a respectable industry. It's medicine at the end of the day. So uh, we have a lot of outdated archaic laws that need reform. We are working with a group of people who are trying to push for some reform and tighter laws within the industry. You know, three strikes are out type of a thing because there's just too much of this terrible stuff happening that, you know, there's no repercussion for, for the surgeons, you know? It's like, oh, rap on the knuckles, like shame on you, but then they could just go on hurting people. And this is happening a lot. And I think, you know, especially with a lot of these quote unquote Instagram famous surgeons, they're really taking advantage of their position in the industry and they're getting really sloppy and a lot of people are are getting severely hurt.
0: Sloppy with the surgery or sloppy with their social media and like their honesty?
1: Both. You know, when you start seeing people with paralyzed faces, people who can't speak, people who can't smile correctly, people who can't close their eyes, you know, one whole half of their face is drooping and it's permanently damaged. Right. That's a problem.
2: And what do you attribute that to? Is that them trying new procedures or things that they're not well-versed in? Or is that them trying to pump through a ton of surgeries that they really shouldn't be
1: doing? Well, you know, there are a lot of doctors who say, well, I'm the quickest, I could do four of these a day. You know, when you're in a face and you're up against main nerve branches, you shouldn't be in there with a scissor just rapidly working away. You know, you want to boast speed if you're a race car driver, not a plastic surgeon. One of my mentors, his name is David Hidalgo, and he works in New York City, And Dave always says, you know, Melinda, it's a one-time surgery for the doctor, but it's a lifetime surgery for the patient and you have to treat it as such.
0: I mean, you know that because you've been in the industry, you have the insight, you've been in the ORs, you've seen all this go down. But if you're just sort of starting to Mm -hmm. consider some sort of a procedure, are there any easy red flags or warning signs to look out for?
1: I hear the same names over and over and over again every single day. You know, the same Instagram famous guys, their names come up all the time. It's when a practice gets that popular or that busy. That's usually when I stop referring to that practice, not because they just like, oh, they don't need the referral. They don't need the business. you like, uh, those types of guys will be like, well, we don't need Melinda. No, I don't need you. I don't need you to be rushing through these cases and hurting my clients. So we're not going to be sending to you anymore. And that's what happens with a lot of those types of surgeons, those names that you hear over and over and over and over again. It's like when you have a high volume practice, there's going to be a lot of room for void, not only a lot of room for void, but a lot of burnout happening with the surgeon. They're going to get tired. You don't want a no, tired no, surgeon don't. working on you.
0: But so Jason Diamond, not, I mean, and obviously we're not talking about him as a person, We're just sort of using it as an example, as it pertains to my potential nose job, I would call him an Instagram famous plastic surgeon. So how do how can you tell the difference between that Instagram famous plastic surgeon and then another one who is actually not doing good work.
1: Well we gotta look at what Jason is famous for. Jason's a famous plastic surgeon, but the majority of the stuff that he does is non invasive. He does a lot of the fillers, he does a lot of the diamond facials, so a lot of the non invasive stuff. And he's famous for that. Things that take you know, half an hour to do, or he has staff members that are, you know, professionals who he has trained doing that for the patient. But Jason, when he does surgery, he's not packing in a million surgeries a day. I know Jay, like he only does one or two surgeries max a day. He is one of the good ones. I have to say, like when you you talk about someone who has the fame, but also is like very careful about not putting Mm -hmm. too much in on his schedule. Jason's always been you know, such an uber professional. He's just such a good person with a big heart. I mean, I, I can't love the guy anymore. He's wonderful. But, you know, when it comes to surgeries, he's not packing in the surgical schedule, but it reflects in his fees. Right. So, you know.
0: Are these questions you can ask in the consultation? Like, how many surgeries do you do a day? Things like that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, you can. Say like, you know, do you mind? Could you like show me what a surgical day looks like if they could print something out and then just black out the name so you could see what a surgical day is looking like so you could get a feel of how they're working? Absolutely. They could do that.
0: So the fewer, the better. And like the more money, the better. Correct. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs)
2: Right, right. On Instagram, not to make this whole interview about plastic surgery on Instagram, but why is everybody going to Turkey all of a sudden to get plastic surgery? Or is that not a new thing?
1: Because it's cheap in Turkey. You know, you could go and get a rhinoplasty there for like $2,000. You know, the problem in Turkey is that there's a lot of plastic surgeons doing extremely aggressive work for very little money. So people are like, sure, I'll, you know, hop on a plane and go to Turkey. And I think they have a very hyper-aesthetic look going on over there. It's not my cup of tea. There's a couple of surgeons in Turkey that I think are very good, but they're not cheap. (laughs) They're the expensive ones. And they do really tasteful, beautiful work. But there are plenty out there that are just extremely aggressive surgeons. They do a lot of surgeries in one sitting, which is also very dangerous. I always say the medical tourism you have to be really careful with because you're not really protected if you go to another country. No,
0: it seems like such a bad. I I I know that a lot of people do it. <laughs> Nick,
1: you did it. Oh, I
0: did do it. I did do it. I did do it. <laughs> did you do it? I did.
2: Not not invasive.
0: I no, it? it was not invasive. I was in Korea on a business trip and I got small face.
2: What is small it was? Face? I don't even know it it what was Nick. She's like literally the world <laughs> expert on this, and she's never heard of it. That's not good. It
0: <laughs> slims your face and makes you a little bit longer, I guess. I think that the Uh the point of it was to look a little more young. But no, but young people are around. I actually, you know what? We didn't speak the same language. And so there was quite a language barrier.
1: Yeah, that's dangerous. No, it is. <laughs> I know.
0: And that's true. And then I went um, under like a twilight anesthetic.
1: What exactly was the procedure? So I don't know. I was asleep. What they use
0: No, no. Small thing. So you don't know. <laughs> yes, I do not know is the answer. In my defense, I had gotten to this place through Two friends who I really trust in the beauty space who live in New York, but are both Korean. So I felt comfortable like doing what I did. But then as Mm -hmm. I was about to go under, I thought to myself, if this goes south and my mother gets a phone call that, (laughs) you know, your son is in critical condition and he was trying to get small face (laughs) and we're in (laughs) in South Korea and like you know, Oh God, I'd be like, but then I just did it. And I, you know what, it all turned out. Okay.
1: You know, Korea is very advanced. Asia is a market that I actually have not cracked into, right. And I have people reach out to me from Asia constantly and Russia too. So those are two markets I haven't cracked into just because they're so saturated and there's so much, I would need to take like a good five years to just go and spend so much time with so many different surgeons and different specialties over there and have a translator with me, to be able to understand and ask the questions that I need to ask and really gauge, you know, the landscape of the industry over there. It's, they are about 10 years ahead of us here in the United States.
0: So of the 2000 physicians that are in your network, can you break down aesthetics by region? Is it that simple to do? So like LA versus New York versus Paris versus London versus Sydney?
1: Yeah. By the way, Australia has, you know, great plastic surgeons. So I think that the Australian plastic surgery market is phenomenal. I'm super impressed by what they're doing over there. London, not so much. The UK is really behind. I mean, in a bad way. I really struggle to find talent in the UK. Mm Paris, extremely conservative, more conservative than New York.
0: When you say conservative, what do you mean?
1: Like you look at a face of before and after, you're like, wow, it's elegantly done, but she really doesn't look touched, you know, that type of thing, where in L.A., Dallas, Miami, bigger is better. Like, go hard or go home. Those
0: stereotypes then are, are kind of true.
1: Kind of true. So I think what has also made me a more popular consultant is because I am from New York. My training is from New York. So I do have a more conservative aesthetic in my approach to plastic surgery. Like, we have declared our entire consultancy filler-free. So we no longer refer for any types of injectables or fillers. Why? Because I think it makes a face look absolutely awful. Like there's other ways to achieve beauty and filling a face with something that is compressing fat, stretching out skin, stagnating your lymphatics, and also pulling and drawing water and fluid to your face is not the way to achieve that. Oh my God. Never thought about it that way. Right, and this is exactly why we do our consultations and we have these conversations because knowledge is power. And you know, when you learn about these things and when you learn about these procedures, you might think twice about just boom making a rash decision that's not going to benefit you aesthetically and definitely not going to benefit you down the line.
0: What do you think about Sculptra? Mm.
1: Sculptra is a collagen biostimulator, so Sculptra has its place. I don't consider that a filler, but collagen biostimulators are good incrementally on the right person. It also has its downsides. Some people get granulomas from Sculptra. So again, it's got to be done very carefully, and it's got to be done in very small doses over a long period of time.
0: Okay, can I tell you one thing, and then I'll let Andy ask more questions, but I'm just running through all my plastic surgery questions. I am convinced that lasers don't work.
1: Which lasers? And for what?
0: Name a laser. I've tried it. I did. What's the one that Christy Brinkley was the ambassador for? That like deep one?
1: Okay, so you're talking about a device. So this is another thing I hear very often, people referring to devices as lasers. So, you know, Fraxel, Erbium, Clear and Brilliant, CO2 Fractional. Those are lasers, right? But Morpheus is a device. So that's a microneedling and radio frequency device. What Christy Brinkley was doing, I believe, was Ulthermage. Those are devices. That's ultrasound, high-frequency ultrasound. So those devices, some are good, some are very bad. The higher the frequencies, the higher the radio frequency, the higher the ultrasound, the worse... The result and the outcome, the more damage yeah. that they can do. You know, now this is a controversial topic because a lot of people will be like, no, absolutely not. I've done it on a million of my patients and they haven't had any issues. Usually you see this, you know, in med spas, you see it in dermatology offices. You'll never really see facial plastic surgeons saying, let me do some cell therapy on you, let me do, you know, this device or that device on you. Many of them do have the Morpheus 8, which I like because it's like not as deep of a micro needle with radiofrequency. So you know you get a little bit of that superficial tightening, which I like. But the deeper you go, the more scar tissue, the more fat it kind of just disintegrates, and the more kind of skeletal in the face. You lose a lot of volume in the face with a lot of these things, and it creates a lot of scar tissue. So it it actually welds the tissues together. This is not something you want. So a lot of people especially when they're younger in their 30s you know they get hooked on devices then by the time you're 40 you look like you're 60 and then you want to do a facelift and it becomes really problematic for that surgeon to do a facelift there's a lot of scar tissue all those tissues that should dissect like butter are welded together like cement so it really becomes problematic so Again, nobody thinks about the long-term repercussions. They're just looking for that instant gratification.
0: And I think, too, it's about money. I mean, how much is a Jason Diamond nose job? $50,000? I don't know. I have no idea. But like (laughs) more? (laughs) More?
1: I don't know. You know, his his rhinoplasties, they range. So okay. it depends on the difficulty of the rhinoplasties. <laughs> so let's say I under, loved her laugh when you <laughs>
0: said that. Let's say under a quarter million dollars. Right. But like so if you don't have under a quarter million dollars of cash, because I'm assuming that insurance doesn't cover aesthetic rhinoplasties. Most insurance, I should say, maybe at like Google they do. <laughs> but if you don't have that, then I think what people are probably searching for is something To improve the thing that they feel is wrong with their skin or some feature that they have. And so they're like, okay, I can stomach $3,000.
1: You know, it's really funny because I work with patients who like drive really fancy, expensive cars. And, you know, they walk around with their Birkin bags and they're spending tons of money on their clothing. But yet when it comes to their face or their body, they're like nickeling and diving. It literally never fails. I've been on the phone with people who have like maids walking around in the background on their Zooms and, you know, they live in a palace and they're like, wait, it's $5,000. I'm like, wait a second. What? <laughs> so, you've got to prioritize what you're investing in. A nice procedure that's going to give you a beautiful result is a long-term investment on yourself. And if it's your nose or your face, like your nose and your face are out for the world to see constantly. If it's your body, it's your body. You've got to walk around. You've got to live in your skin. You've got to live in your body every single day. I always say, if you don't have it, then wait and then save a little bit, put some money away and do it when the time is right. But there are other options in the United States. So if you don't have it, we could really take a look at what you do have and what your budget is. And we try to pair you with the surgeon maybe elsewhere. Maybe you have to travel to like Nashville, or maybe you travel to Florida, you know, where the prices are a little bit lower. In California, the prices are super high, by the way. They're like three times the prices anywhere else in the United States.
0: And that is really just the market versus like Correct. experience or talent or technique that's just like what the market will bear
1: that's right i mean i have a surgeon who's in omaha who has done thousands and thousands of rhinoplasties who's phenomenal and his rhinoplasties are like 8,500 or 10,000.
0: Can I go to that person instead of like, you're, yeah. you're sending me to someone, I said 50K and you laughed. So I don't know who you think right. I am. I don't have any maids walking <laughs> around in the background.
1: Uh, actually, yeah, I don't think Jason's rhinoplasties are 50K. But yeah, you know, definitely in California, rhinoplasties could go up to 35 or 40,000 for sure, easily.
0: Yeah, that that's a wild.
1: Can we end
2: this on... Taking a look into the future, I mean, you said in Asia, they're doing really advanced procedures or techniques. Like what's the next big wave? What are we going to see more of?
1: I think bone regeneration is something that they're looking at over there in Asia. I've got to, I have to, you know, I have to read my current events of what's happening in Asia right now. I do get newsletters sent over to me, but they're doing a lot of stem cell rejuvenation. They're doing a lot with stem cells right now. So, using our own fat and doing things and growing our own fat. So, they're really trying to use what we have, right? So, bone fat, stem cells, you know, stem cell rejuvenation for skin. I know they're doing a lot in Asia with burn victims. So there's a lot of really cool things coming out. Product-wise, utilizing more stem cell and growth factor in products. But hopefully... And what I want to see is using more of that stuff to like regrow hair. I mean, we're already kind of like utilizing exosomes here, which is helpful in hair regrowth.
0: Is that like PRP? They use PRP for hair regrowth too, right?
1: Yes. Yes, they do. And that's, you know, stem cell rejuvenation. And there's like a lot of tricks that these doctors have up their sleeves now. And a lot of this stuff does stem from Asia. So a lot of it kind of trickles into the United States.
0: If you don't do filler anymore, I feel like everyone does filler. So to me, that's like the headline is like fillers out. So what's the new filler?
1: So I mean, you know, really the collagen biostimulators are, are taken, you know, a step up.
0: Which is like the Sculptra.
1: Oh yeah, it's the Sculptra. I mean, people are using the radius a little bit more. Radius Hyperdilute is being used a little bit more aggressively now, and then stimulation of our own collagen. So microneedling with PRP and PRF, like all of this, is really helping build our own collagen, nano fat, you know, they're doing micro stamping with your own nano fat. So that's also stem cell rejuvenation. So that could kind of act like a filler, but got to be very careful with fat and has to be in the hands of someone who's extremely experienced. So. You know, is filler out? I don't think filler will ever completely be out. People are still, they still love their filler, but I think there's just better options out there. And what we're learning about filler now is that the body doesn't really metabolize it as quickly as we thought it did. So they're doing a lot of studies showing that filler one time can last in the face for nine to 12 years. So, you know, when people are constantly going back and getting more and more and more and stacking and stacking and stacking, you know, you've got tissues just kind of really congested with all of this gunk. I've gone into Observe facelifts where we dissected the skin on the face and we lift it up and you see underneath and then they just kind of press down on the tissues and all of the stuff comes oozing out. And the woman basically was like, haven't had filler in six years. Well, it's still very much in there. You know, it could just kind of integrate with the tissues and it just embeds oh itself in there and the body cannot break that down.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm obsessed with you. Where <laughs> can people find you to work with you and to follow you?
1: So at Beauty Broker Official on Instagram, at Beauty Broker on Twitter. And my website is www.thebeautybrokers.com.
0: Melinda, thank you so much for chatting with us. And Oh
1: my God. Good. You're welcome for my
0: consultation.
1: <laughs> yeah, email me for other names, and we'll get you sorted out. Don't worry, your nose is super thank easy you. to do, but we'll we'll get you sorted out. Don't worry. Thank for you. off to <laughs> Omaha. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm I'm booking. I'm going to take Southwest Airlines, and I'm going to get myself <laughs> to Omaha. So we'll see you there. As always, thank you for listening and. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Presant, and our album art is by Simon Abronowitz. Please follow us on Patreon. Become a subscriber, a patron, so to speak, at patreon.com slash eyewitnessbeauty. Email us, Nick or Annie, at eyewitnessbeauty.com, at eyewitnessbeauty on Instagram. As always, keep in touch. Talk to us. Let us know what you're feeling, how you're doing, and we'll see you next week.